Hello, everyone, and welcome to Locked On Flames. Today, we are going to talk about fan perception versus ownership's reality perception and, you know, kind of break down where the Flames are actually at in terms of competitiveness, where they stand in their market, and more. Your Locked On Flames, your daily podcast on the Calgary Flames. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back or welcome to Locked On Flames. As always, I'm Jess Belmosto, and I'm joined by my partner in crime for another Tuesday, Nick Zararis. How are you doing? I'm very good. The weather's starting to break. It kind of feels like normal winter. Maybe the planet isn't dying, knock on wood. Yeah, we're just gonna... Again, I feel like the theme of this show is denial. So if we just keep pushing and pretending the planet isn't on fire, or a certain team isn't, you know, also on fire, we can just keep on pushing. And if denial is your favorite state of grief and sportsmanship hang out with us wherever you get your podcasts spotify apple audible amazon and of course on youtube at locked on flames last night nick and i were talking about the flames game and how this team is not uh where ownership kind of claims they're at versus fan perception and I think that it's just an interesting topic to kind of run through and you know really dive deep into (laughs) this organization there are so many ways to approach this and I find this to be the most constructive way to think about a team because you have to have alignment between your owner, your executive, whether it's a GM or a president and the coach. And if you mm-hmm. don't have those three people all on the same line, you're never going to get anywhere. I, the idea for this episode came from the remarks from the Canucks leadership group over the weekend about how, well, it's not a rebuild, but it's a retool. It, it, it's a rebuild. You don't want to call it a rebuild, but you, you need to take a multiple year period to to reassess your team and kind of start over. And I thought about applying that framework to the Flames because they had an opportunity this past offseason to say, we could hard reset here. You lost your two best players, your two most expensive players. You'd have ample cap space. You'd be able to get draft picks back if you'd want that as opposed to roster players. And instead, because the team was really good last year, let's not forget that. They were a very good team last year. They had a real shot, I would say, of coming out of the West last year if things broke their way a little bit more favorably. But instead, they decided, let's try and raise the floor. Let's force the window open for a few more years here with a relatively older group. And if things go our way, we can maybe make a run. And there's nothing wrong with saying we think if we get in, we can get hot at the right time. That's what most teams do. Uh, The quote I have in the rundown is for the NFL, but it applies for the NHL as well. There's 32 teams in the league. 20 of those teams do not have real ambitions of winning a championship any given year. And only about five of them have a real chance to actually win the championship that given season. 
that comes from this type of perception issue we're talking about where is the GM acting in his best interest? Is he enacting what the owner wants? Is he trying to save his job? There are so many competing interests that have to balance with each other when you're talking about the direction of a team. It's really hard to get a clear picture and you have to kind of make assumptions and try and put everything together where you're up in three in the morning with a tack board and string trying to weave together threads like it's a conspiracy theory because we don't know what these people's motivations are right. we can only take them at their word and say we they say we think we can win the stanley cup this year no matter how unrealistic that is yeah and you know i think i really do think brad tree living worked his butt off this summer yeah. i think that uh you know number one of course you don't want to go from one of the best teams in the league to plummet to Arizona Canucks territory. And then, you know, he, this is also a contract year for him. He's probably wanting to re up with the team. And he saw, you know, this rose colored glasses that he was wearing that if this team really brought in players like Huberto, Uyghur and Kadri, that, Things could get done, and they're they're getting done, just not in the way that you want this in comparison to last year's team. They're not anywhere close to the same level, and it's not just, you know, the forward group or the defense and the goaltending. The, the coach is right there, too. He's, you know, everybody – needs to be held accountable. And I think it's all across the board right now. They are firmly in the middle. They probably will make the playoffs. We are. We had this debate uh, two weeks ago when we did our debate episode, and we kind of – I'm pretty confident they will outlast some of the less talented teams that they're in competition with. They just need a, a crumb. They need a little more forward help. They could use an extra defenseman. But they'll make the playoffs. But I imagine that at best they're a second-round exit just because they, they bought at the highest point on Huberto. He had a career year last year, and they kind of said, we need to replace at least some of the Kachuk and Gaudreau production. We think Huberto is a good candidate to be 70% of that, 80% yeah. of that. And right now he's more 60% of that, and that goes into your overall calculus. That's just, it, it sounds very um, cold and tactile to break it down like that, but to some degree, you need a certain number of goals if you want to make the playoffs every given year. And if you're not finding them from him, you got to find them somewhere else. And they haven't been able to score with any real consistency. We're going to get into it a little bit deeper because we're still at the, the top of the pyramid and we got to work our way down until we get to the roster. But there are clear and obvious, maybe this roster was assembled for, let's just get into the playoffs and hope as opposed to last year where you went into that season last year feeling this group legitimately is going to have a chance to be pretty good. And then as the season went along, you thought the group had the potential to be special. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we're past the midpoint of the season. We're in the second half. It's it's time to really kind of look at this a little bit more critically because time eventually runs out. As yes. Canucks fans know, uh, you know, they just kind of ran out of time. But coming up next, we are going to talk more about, you know, the general managers and kind of the business side of things that maybe fans don't always look at when they're analyzing their team and what the 
expectations are. But before we do that, I want to tell you about our partner at Bet Online. Bet Online has all the latest odds, news, and scores. And of course, you can uh, place some bets on the uh, football playoffs that are happening, soccer, NHL. Baseball will be starting very soon. I believe pitchers and catchers report in like a month. So that's very exciting. And of course, um, you can find everything you need to know at Bet Online and um, just be safe when you're gambling and don't take my advice. Thank you. And thank you everyone for tuning into Locked On Flames. As always, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts and of course on YouTube. The thing here is I remember coming in and covering this team back in 2020 when they had a first round exit to, I believe it was Arizona, which is very interesting to think about and definitely um, kind of speaks to the state of the West. And they still had Taylor Hall on their team, but... No, it was Colorado. I'm lying to you. It was Colorado. But they lost to Arizona the year before, I believe. And, you know, it's just um, everyone just kept saying, you know, we know we're better than this. We know we can do better. And the true question is, can you? Because last year you almost got bounced in the first round because overtime game seven and then you had a gentleman sweep against the Oilers. There are so many little things that go into this and you said it, and this is part of the conversation. And as fans, you don't want to think about this part of the game because that would tell you that your T your owner, your GM, your coach aren't trying to win that they're trying to maintain that they're trying to meet a certain revenue threshold, a certain attendance threshold. It's a lot harder to sell season tickets and have commercial sponsorships when your team is God awful. If your team might make the playoffs that even if you lose in the first round, those two home games, that's a lot of money in revenue. Just having two home playoff games. Even if you get swept in the first round, if you can drag it out to seven games, if you have home ice, you get four home games. That is a lot of money for teams, especially teams like Calgary that does play in a smaller market. They're the fifth largest TV market in Canada. They're one of the smallest markets in the entire league. And that's not to say they don't have great support because they do. They're in the top 13 in attendance and they would be higher if they played in a bigger arena. They sell out most of the time, but they play in the second oldest arena in the league. They need a new arena. And that's part of why there is a vested interest in the team playing okay, slightly above average, as opposed to bottoming out for a few years. It's very difficult to go to a municipal government as a really bad team and say, can we have a new arena, please? And we need you to pay for it with tax money. That would be great. And it's really hard to get people to be that type financially invested if the team is bad. And there is an interest in being just okay for an extended period of time. You think about some of the GMs who are, who've been around the league a long time. You think about David Poyle, who's been in Nashville since the franchise's inception. He's been the general manager for over 3000 games. They've made one Stanley cup final in 20 something years of him being the GM of the team. As long as they get in every year, 
they're relatively content with that. That's all they need. In that market, that is acceptable. And other markets with more passionate fan bases, with longer established fan bases and traditions, that won't fly. But in a market like Nashville, where hockey's kind of a novelty, and that's not to say they don't have good fans. The Nashville crowd is always very good. They have a they have done a good job in a non-traditional market of establishing mm-hmm. a foothold. But they're not in the same ilk of a Flames and Oilers and Canucks with a long extended history of tradition in the league where the fans expect more. Uh, to be frank, the Flames fans yeah. should expect more. Yeah, no, and I think that that's, you know, kind of what got me interested in discussing this is because my entire timeline is just basically saying we can do better than this. What What is going on here? And the expectations are that you win. And I, I get it. It was a little bit of a slow start. You had to retool your roster, which, you know, we're going to talk about next. But the GM, the coach just came into this season and acted like it was going to be a Stanley Cup contending team. And, you know, like you said, they're probably a first or second round exit team. They're they're not going to come out of the West. If they do, I I don't know. I'll eat a stick of cream cheese or something on a YouTube short. I don't know. But I just, it's, I think about the Toronto fan base and how devastated they are with first round exits every year. And, you know, since 2004, I believe, but that that's a lifetime for some of these fans. And you just it becomes an expectation to lose in the first round I think but the expectation like the Toronto Maple Leafs are a fantastic hockey team they should be performing at a different level in the postseason as long as everyone's healthy and same goes for the Flames now their rosters are are on two entirely different levels here but again it's a Canadian market there's the history there is this urgency to win since they haven't won since 1989 and that it was a long time ago and you just deserve more the this the fans i i don't know how else to say it you get into an existentialism with fandom with situations like this where it's like i put all of this time this emotion this money into this don't i get to be happy at some point isn't doesn't this supposed isn't there supposed to be a ratio of top over time you get an x number of happiness involved in sports but no you, you got to be an idiot to be a sports fan that fan is short for fanatic all of the cliches you can say about being a fan are true that just yeah. flat out you put in a lot the best thing you get out of it is character development you, you learn how to deal with bad situations. You learn how to deal with disappointment. It makes you a more complete person. Yes. And it, in some sick way, there are people who think if you suffer more, it makes the reward all the more better. I don't know if that's necessarily true. I, I, I think I would just prefer to win all the time. Maybe you get desensitized to winning. You turn into a Yankee fan. You get a little arrogant and entitled. But there, <laughs> That's a that's a different type of conversation. Yeah. But for a Flames team that was really close last year, really close, like legitimately, they were, I felt, 
by the midpoint of the season, one of the four or five best teams in the entire league. Like we said, there are 32 teams in the league. Ten have think they can win the Stanley Cup. Five actually can win the Stanley Cup. The Flames are one of those five teams last year. They were that good in the regular season. They ran into difficult circumstance. Their goalie got worn out. They played a gauntlet of a first-round series against the Stars, where I think there were six total goals in that entire series. Jake Ottinger was Superman. Jake, uh, This set still blows my mind. Jake Ottinger saved more goals, saved above expected in that series than Darcy Kemper did the entire playoffs for the Avalanche. In one seven-game series, he had more goals saved above expected than Darcy Kemper did going to the Stanley Cup final and winning the Stanley Cup. That is how difficult of a first-round series that was. There is no surprise they were that worn out and beaten up by the time they had to play Edmonton. It's unfortunate, but like we were just saying, sports are inherently unfair. There are 32 teams. One team gets to be the champion every year. And like, yeah, like we've been saying, maybe, okay, 10 get to be the champion any given year as opposed to 32 because most teams don't really have a shot. But one in 10 is still not great odds. No, no. And again, like you said, they were so worn out by the, I think I would even say by the middle of that first round against Dallas because it was so emotionally intense they knew what the expectations were. They were pl- going up against a fantastic, fantastic goalie. And their own goalie was fighting for his own life in his net and just playing like out of his mind. And, you know, that's not that's not an easy feat to do for yeah. 60 minutes. <laughs> that's yeah. a long time. And, and they were distracted by Brady Kachuk. Yes, they had the king of distractions, Brady Kachuk. And then by game seven, they those little Flames fans up on the glass doing some voodoo. Like, you, you never know what you're running into. And, you know, there are certain variables throughout this season where you know that this is going to play a factor into your postseason run. Like, I, I, I'm not going to wish an injury or speak an injury into existence. But if someone suffers a long-term injury, yeah, that's going to play a role into the postseason or even entering the postseason. If your goaltender is worn out or he's not playing well through the regular season, yeah, maybe he gets hot at the right minute. But you can't bank on that. You just can't. No, that's the thing. That is where you get into the, the fan perception versus the GM perspective versus the owner perspective. Most owners, they'll be content, make the playoffs consistently. That is guaranteed gate. That revenue is so important, especially in the NHL, which is such a gate-driven league because the TV deal is like a third of what the NFL, the NBA get. But granted, those leagues have bigger head starts. They're more American-based. The NHL being based in Canada does have its drawbacks in terms of the finances of the sport. But in terms of the making the three perceptions line up, it is really difficult to get everybody all on the same page. The fans mm-hmm. just want to win. The GM has to do what the owner wants them to do and try and win. The owner is has their own interests aside from winning. Those two don't always align. It's the same thing with the coach. The coach's interests do not always align with what the GM wants to do, what the owner wants to do, what the fans want to do. The, most of the time, the coach's vested interest is playing it as safe as possible to have defensible actions on your resume so that if you get fired, you can say, hey, man, I, 
I did this. This makes sense. There's that scene in Moneyball where Philip Seymour Hoffman playing Art House says, I, I need to be able to explain myself to job interviews in the spring. But that's part of this for the coaches who are just, I need to be able to defend my decisions. And if you take that power away from me by making my team worse, by giving me players I don't like or don't know how to use, you're going to make it harder for me to find another job. Because yes, you would think that taking that job, taking a coaching job, you'd have to be able to put the team before your own interests. But that's just not the way people work. And that's not to say it is a, being a bad person to put yourself yeah. before your, put your job before your team. But sometimes, you know, you got to be able to cut the balance. Like the, the perfect example before we move on, because this is a good yeah. way we can talk about switching to the roster. The perfect example is it would be in the best interest of the Flames to figure out what they have in some of their younger guys, whether it be Matt Phillips, whether it be Coronado, Valmaki in years past, just to find out what they are. But Daryl Sutter was more concerned with trying to win that specific game, that given night. He'll opt for the low-risk player who's not going to do anything flashy but shouldn't kill the team. That is an example of putting your interests above the team's interests because now the Flames still don't have clarity, especially on Matt Phillips right now when they need one extra forward. They need at least one more forward in this group. And it's because Daryl was more concerned in November and December with this team is not playing well. I need to stabilize this. I need to save my job. And because he agreed to an extension pretty early on in the se this season yep. going going forward. So there was a real vested interest for Daryl in stabilizing the team and maybe cutting the the ceiling of the team down a little bit, but raising the floor at the same time. A hundred percent. And I just, I think that it's so easy to be like, well, why wouldn't you want to win long-term? Daryl Sutter is again, someone that takes day by day and game by game so seriously. And if you remember at the end of the, I think it was game seven against Dallas, he was just, he went, he was heading right to the locker room yeah. because he was like next game. But then the assistant coach grabbed him and was like, you need to go shake their hands. Like you just, you just want a series. So it is kind of like a mental space that you're kind of like locked into, which I get, I understand, but you have to think about the bigger picture here sometimes. And Coming up next, we are going to try to make some sense of this mess and hopefully uh, round this out for you so you can go into the next game with a little bit more clarity and just manage those expectations for yourself so you don't find yourself screaming on the timeline or in your head or texting your friends about it. But Coming up next, we are going to talk about Athletic Greens and why I use them every day. Uh, our next partner is obviously Athletic Greens, and I greatly appreciate their simple simplicity of one scoop and a cup of water every morning to protect my immune system, my gut health, and everything else that could possibly be protected with AG1. Uh it's filled with 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, and whole-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens. And there is a special blend of ingredients that supports gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, energy, recovery, focus, and aging. All of the things that we should be focusing on outside of being a sports fan, because being a sports fan can certainly cause stomach problems, and it ages you a little bit. So head on over to athleticgreens.com slash NHL Network to take ownership of your health. 
Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with the convenient daily nutrition. It is just one scoop in your cup of water every day. Tastes like tropical goodness. And there's no need for a million different pills, supplements, and you don't have to just take a fistful of pills. You just take one simple scoop. It's pretty easy. And to make it even easier, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash NHL network. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash NHL network to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Thank you everyone for hanging out with us. I hope that this is a good way for everyone to kind of regroup after this road trip because I think there were expectations that were not met. And, but I ex- mean, yes and no. Yeah. Yes and no. Like, it sounds weird to be this existential about a team that's played pretty well in the last month. I think they're 8-3-1 and one in their last 12 games, something like that. Mm-hmm. But it, the losses are just so such kicks in the stomach, like losing two to one to Nashville. And like granted, UC Soros is playing a lot better the last couple of weeks, but Nashville is not a particularly good team. If you can't score more than one goal against Nashville, and again, it's okay to get goalied every once in a while. And Soros is a particularly good goalie, but that's a team you got to be able to beat. That is a team you have to be able to beat with some consistency. You got to beat up on the bad teams. Yeah. And same for Chicago. You know, you should be able to beat them in regulation. I believe it was uh, Julian McKenzie from The Athletic who tweeted, they only have four regulation losses since December 18th. That's a month. But these losses feel so much bigger and so clumped together that it, it doesn't feel like it's just four regulation losses. And... When you go out there and get goalied by, you know, particularly bottom of the barrel teams, it's not, it just doesn't look good for you. And again, those expectations are just kind of missed. You almost blow um, a five goal lead against, or four or five goal lead against uh, Dallas. And you just have to be better. That's the only way to really simply put it. I mean, the thing about the losses and why they feel so particularly um, impactful or like weight bearing Mm -hmm. is that they're microcosms of the season. The Flames don't just lose. They score one goal and lose. They get a big lead and give it away. They melt down late in a game, shell it. They get shelled late in a game and let the other team get back into it and give them confidence. And that has been an issue all year of they get a lead. Yeah, they that they I think anecdotally, it feels like the Flames lead the league in disallowed goals by kicking motion. Mm -hmm. Anecdotally, at least it feels like that's the case. So the last segment here, we're going to talk about just the state of the team, because we talked about the offseason being an opportunity to either reset and really look towards the long term or to try and just raise that floor enough that you get in and you see what happens. And they're one of the oldest teams in the league. They've got the sixth oldest roster in the entire league. And granted, some of that is very heavily skewed by having Lucic and Trevor Lewis, who are 35 and 34 respectively. When you take them out, they're more closer to the middle of the pack in terms of age. But you think about who the expensive people are. The expensive people are the old people. Lucic, Huberto, 
Kadri. That is a significant amount of money tied up in older players. You think about some of the younger guys who are going to need contracts going forward. You think about guys like Hannafin. They have Rasmus Anderson for a couple more years of team control, but that will be an expensive contract when the time yes. comes. And the, the problem also is they bought Huberto at the highest point of his value. They bought him after the best season of his career at age 28, and there, you, you got to accept that signing somebody, tra- excuse me, trading for somebody, and then giving them a long-term extension at age twenty-eight, you know, you're not going to get what you that person gave you in that year. No. Usually, you reach your peak statistical production in terms of counting stats, twenty-eight, twenty-nine, and then you get the age-related decline. Everybody makes the joke about thirty being a hundred in the NHL, but it's based in reality. There are occasionally players who play well into their mid-thirties, but for most guys, that's not the case. Some age more gracefully than others, but realistically, you probably got another year or two of a team like this, and then you're going to have to reassess what it looks like because you're going to have to start figuring out, well, are we going to keep Noah Hannafin for the long term or are we better off trying to get a little bit younger? There are just so many sliding doors here that it's really hard to get a read on where the Flames are going to be, even at as far as soon as this summer, because yeah. they're going to have decisions to make on, well, we really didn't achieve our goals. What can we do to get closer to them? We know they're going to have Lucic off the books after the year. That's nice. That's a good four or five million dollars right there. But Five one four million dollar roster player isn't going to be the difference between this team being the second wild card and first or second in the division. They're just this team is not playing up to its ability, and frankly, it probably isn't talented enough to play significantly better than this. I, I would say they're talented enough to be better than this, but not significantly better than this. Like at best, this is probably the third team in the Pacific Division if everything was going well for them in terms of results and talent. Yeah, you know, I think that you said it perfectly. Like, there's a reason why that 30-year-old joke is made. Because it's true. You know, not everyone is going to go out there and age like a David Krejci or a Patrice Bergeron. Or, I don't know how old Ryan O'Reilly is, but I'm pretty sure he's getting kind of up there. He's like 31. Oh, yeah. Okay, so he's up there. And, you know, you are going to eventually see that decline. It's not you know, something that you can avoid unless you just get them off your team. That's the only way. And unfortunately, not everyone is going to take on these bigger contracts, especially, you know, we've seen it with the Lucic contract. We talk about trading him. No one is going to willingly take on that contract. He's not a rental. He is, I don't don't want to call him a dud, but He's, He's an expiring contract. That's yeah. his value. The, the only way you would be able to get a team to take Lucic's deal without giving them something with him is if they were to give you somebody with multiple years left on the deal yeah. that makes less. That is the only way you would be able to get a team to take Lucic and say, hey, we know you don't really need this guy. This guy makes like $2.5 per year, and the Flames could save a little bit of cap space. That type of deal happens in the NBA a lot, where the GMs are a little bit further along and just ruthlessness in the marketplace of using cap space as a weapon, whereas yeah. NHL teams are like, well, that guy's my friend. I don't want to screw him over by doing X, Y, or Z. There, yeah. there is there is an inherent gentleman's co- agreement amongst GMs to not like go full cutthroat over transactions the way they do in other sports. They should. I think that they, would be oh, interesting. It's, 
It's a market inefficiency. It's one mm-hmm. of the things that is waiting to be aggressively tapped into. You are seeing some of these teams that are a little more forward thinking be more aggressive in their decisions. You think about the Wild yesterday giving Matt Boldy a seven-year deal a year and a half into his NHL career because they are buying his restricted free agent years and two years of his unrestricted free agency, and those are going to be the best years of his career. Yeah. Uh, you are buying his 27, 28-year-old, and I think he turns 29 in the last year of that deal. You are buying the best years of his career early. Yeah, you're paying a little bit more upfront for those restricted free agent years where you could have kept his cost down artificially because of the rules and the way you can manipulate people with restricted free agency and they're not allowed mm-hmm. to negotiate with other teams. But the teams that are aggressive in their roster decisions like that are the ones who are going to be able to take advantage of this new marketplace. You think about the way... The Flames got kind of stuck this summer where they had two marquee players say, we don't want to be here anymore. They were able to get good value in return for Matthew Kachuk. They they got decent value. Huberto and Uyghur, that's about 80% of Matthew Kachuk's production, putting the two of them together. That's a pretty good return on investment for a player that, could, if this were another sport, could have just left as opposed to getting nothing in return. Right. There is a, the Flames are a decent team with the capability of being good, the way they're constructed down. I don't think they have the capability of being great unless something unforeseen happens. Yeah. I mean, I don't really see any world where that does happen. I think we're just kind of back to that solid middle of the pack hockey. And that nice outlying year last year was fantastic. It was fun. I loved coming on and talking about this team every day and having exciting things to share instead of us having a crisis over a road trip in the middle of January. But it's a very interesting thing to look at, especially when you do compare it to other sports. You know, you brought up Moneyball and you see guys getting $300 million contracts. And I think about, you know, defensemen now making like $11.5 million a year. And I'm like, that's that's a that's crazy considering the cap space and you know kind of how limited the NHL is in terms of money and cap space and you know there are plenty of teams who are going to have to spend money this summer and hopefully you figure out a way to do it because you're going to be in some trouble down the road. Yeah, that that's the biggest thing. It, you it's want very to be Vancouver. That's basically where all them should be coming from. Right you now. can keep picking the can down the road for so long. You can be, eventually the bill comes due. No matter how aggressive you are, no matter how cap savvy you're trying to be, mm-hmm. eventually you are going to have to take your medicine and be god awful for a couple of seasons. You yeah. can try and be mediocre as long as you want. You are going to end up picking in the top five of the draft eventually because there is just is a finite amount of cap space and a finite finite amount of roster players. There they just mm-hmm. isn't a way to avoid being god awful. That is the way the cycle of sports work, especially in a salary cap league. You are penalized for being a good team in this league. That is the entire idea of a salary cap and restricted free agency. And again, it doesn't come back to fan enjoyment or experience. It's all about how the rich can get richer. And I, th- I really think the one thing that the flames could do, um, you know, I'm sure the executives are listening to this podcast to get, you know, to steal some ideas, but um, 
if they are redoing the Saddle Dome, you could do a fantastic, fantastic marketing thing of, you know, the final year at the Dome. The last dance. Yeah. Everybody loves the last dance. Yeah, right. I I will 200% fly out there. I don't know how to get to Calgary. I'll probably have to fly to like Manitoba. Do they, they probably have an airport. I don't know. Calgary has an airport. They do. They definitely do. But I just, I, there's so many opportunities for this team business-wise as well as roster, um, as well as their roster. But you just, you have to just keep that hope up and eventually kind of come to terms with the fact that you're going to tank for the next prospect, for the next, you know, number one overall draft pick and hope that something goes your way. And if you're a draft lottery team, you're a draft lottery team and just fully buy into it. Otherwise it's not going to be fun. You know, the devils, they, they've been, or they were bad for a really long time and you could go see a game for like 15 bucks Less okay. than that. I've went to more than one Devils game for $5. More than one Devils game for $5. What? Yeah, I went to a Devils Blue Jackets game on a football Sunday for $5. The game started at 6 o'clock. It was very fun. Yeah, so see, you have that to look forward to. And I think, again, you can go see the stars. You can go, I, Johnny Gaudreau comes into town with his horrible team. You can go see them for like 6 bucks, 6 Canadian dollars. But, you know, um, just have fun hope they make the playoffs and um enjoy your tim hortons and i, I don't know <laughs> and you're just kind of stuck in this middle ground and you can't do anything yep sports are unfair the- nope sports are unfair no no but do you know what is fair what's the fair? nfc east apparently yeah <laughs> Thank you, Tom Brady, for uh, not showing up last night. I appreciate that. Um, And thank you to everyone else who listens to Locked on Flames. Because we have a long second half of the season ahead of us. And we are more than excited to bring you your daily content as well as some fun social media clips. So make sure you're following along at LO underscore Flames pod on Twitter. Locked on Flames on Instagram, and of course, Locked on Flames on YouTube. And we'll see you next time. I almost said next week, but no, see you tomorrow. I'll see you next week. Yes.